This is Fundraising Radio, and today as a guest speaker, we have Kiev Mochnik, founding member of Launch Legal LLC. And today we're going to talk about legal side of fundraising, specifically raising super early stage round. And more specifically, we're going to talk about raising friends, family, and fools round and how to create that from the legal perspective and not to get into any troubles mixing your family and your business. So, Kiev, uh, let's get started by you giving us some background on yourself and on Launch Legal LLC. Sure. Thank you very much for having me on. I'm excited to add some of the um, views that I've gathered from my experience as a um, corporate and and securities attorney. I started my career at a large law firm, large international law firm doing corporate, private equity, and M&A deals. Um, And I actually started in 2008, so right when the market uh, was also taking a downturn in a very similar position that we are in today. Yep. today. So um, it's a fantastic learning experience because I did get to participate on some some very, very large deals in different industries across different sectors. but I had to be nimble, <laughs> very <laughs> much like a entrepreneur. And so I then moved into doing some white collar investigations with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act um, and other similar regulations, but then moved um, into the position of general counsel for a publicly traded tech company out of Jinnah. Um, and did that for a while. We went dark or stopped reporting. Um, so we took ourselves off of the, uh, the public stock markets and then um, also divested into a number of different units that the company had all had in one previously. So in healthcare and software development and agile consulting um, and government contracting. So I did that for a little while and then started moonlighting for a a private aviation tech startup called Jet Smarter out of South Florida um, and was doing both at the, uh, at the same time for a while, helped them raise their seed and multiple A levels of uh, fundraising and then their series B fundraising as well, moved down to Florida permanently or full time to concentrate on that um, as they then managed to hit unicorns status and, and do really well. After that, um, I am very much an entrepreneurial uh, type of person as well. And so kind of wanted to do my own thing and, and, and start my own startup. So I moved to, back to Denver, which has kind of been home base for a while and um, started my own boutique law firm focusing on tech and startups and emerging tech like blockchain and AI and um, in the cannabis space as well and also started a co-working space for um, transactional attorneys uh, trying to maximize the ability or maximize the kind of the principle of access to justice um, and accessing attorneys at you know different levels and then also um, creating sort of a side consulting business and creating legal tech for uh, for the clients of those attorneys so now um, i've exited that uh, that startup and have been primarily just focused on my own firm and coming in as as a key advisor and, and sometimes as a key member of the core team of a lot of startups um, ranging from uh, early age to 
being funded to sort of uh, seek multiple rounds of, of financing and then on, on, on their path to exit as well. So it's been incredibly interesting. I've learned a lot. I still have a ton to learn and <laughs> learning something new every oh, yeah. day. Um, and just being creative, one of my uh, kind of more interesting components of, of what I do and why I love what I do is being creative in, in corporate governance and legal structuring. Obviously, there's a number of um, corporate legal entities that many people are unfamiliar with that you can use to to be to to kind of meet a number of different objectives from privacy to tax to um, just kind of different levels of holding assets within your group of companies so i mean i i get a huge kick out of that and uh and a huge nerd about all that kind of stuff. oh yeah but yeah oh, i find yeah. it very enjoyable and especially the blockchain community has really um, amped up a lot of these initiatives um, and seeking sort of more decentralized ways for uh, for approaching governance. So, that's... so yeah, that's where I sit right now. I am also I've recently joined as general counsel of Wyofi, which is uh, one of the first special purpose depository institutions in Wyoming. Um, it's a bank which will. Uh, basically perform digital asset custody and they're really pioneering what they're doing in Wyoming, which is surprising, but they're very <laughs> much advanced in so many different ways. Um, yeah, it's a lot of really interesting projects that I'm working on and advising uh, as a, as a, just an outside advisor. That's, you have a very, very serious background. I love um, it. So, uh, let's get started from, uh, friends, family and fools round. This is a, pre-pre-seed sometimes, and many founders actually start with this triple F round, but sometimes they think that's, you know, it's it's just my family, there's not no main, not, not many legal documents required, right? It's my friends and family, I know them all, they know me, but when things go wrong, sometimes it can be really dirty. So Eve, can we go a little bit in depth into what should a founder do to avoid these sort of problems? Right. I mean, well, it just depends on, you know, what kind of relationship you'd like to maintain with those friends and family when <laughs> uh, down, down the line, right? If you don't really care, then there's a lot of people doing, you know, it's, it's all karma and it, I guess it all follows you into the, the future rounds and the future success of your business, I think. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who will step over the bodies of their family members to get to what they want. Oh, God. And it just depends on, uh, it just depends on your personality and your kind of leadership and executive team and your board team structure. And maybe at the early stages, it's probably premature to even talk about those kind of concepts. But mm -hmm. um, I, I recommend, you know, at least, at least at a bare minimum to have a, a safe in place, even with friends and family. Um, because at least it documents, you know, the the investment and ha gives them some kind of security in in any future success of the company. Um, and when I say security, I mean that's also kind of a loose term because it just depends on which version of the safe you are <laughs> you you are granting to them as well. Right. Um, so Constantine, you and I spoke about 
the 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 fact that there's two versions of the uh-huh. the face document that was right. pr- that was introduced by Y Combinator. One was in 2013, and the other one was in 2017 or 2018. Um, but the 2013 one basically is lives in some world in because it's not necessarily a security and it's not necessarily debt. So the the, the investors that were coming in at that round even though it was really convenient for the founders and the startup to have a very easy document in which to memorialize the investment. And that was sort of a standard form document that didn't, wouldn't take a lot of legal expense, wouldn't take a lot of back and forth and negotiation apart from uh, um, valuation and uh, valuation camp and discount. So, but, and then uh, they realized that it just, it gave, the early investors no protection. So mm-hmm. there was this major downside of holding on to this this the safe note, which just didn't give you any kind of uh, security. So Y Combinator realized that they revised the version in 2018 um, to what's called a post money safe. So basically, giving you and I won't go into <laughs> I won't go into the weeds because you know it can get very kind of confusing in terms of all the legal ease. But generally, it it treats with a post money safe. It treats the round of financing even at that early stage as a separate round. So you know how much you're going to be diluted against future rounds. So I mean, if mm-hmm. there's if there's only one round, it doesn't really make a difference. But if there are multiple rounds. Even at the safe stage, it allows you sort of clarity into how much exactly you, um, how much ex- exactly the, the pie that you own with your investment. So, going back to the question of you know of the formality of of your legal documents with the friends and family around, I would recommend it just because I think you should be a good person <laughs> and you should you know like I said the karma sticks to your company um, and those people that really believe in you early on are taking the biggest risk with their money so um, they should have some way if, if there is future success they should have some way of participating in that absolutely yeah I think so too I'm not definitely not on the same page with you on the karma side i don't believe in karma i'm more of a i'm more <laughs> of a believer in the firm u.s law that's going to punish basically anyone who even tries to think of dealing with this so let's go back to the documents um in the friends family and fools rounds what what sort of documents should they include other than uh safe so should they register this offering with the sec or any other sort of entity right so that's a good question. Um, so in terms of uh, documentation, I mean, I believe in, in good corporate hygiene. And I would, of course, say that because I'm a lawyer. Um, <laughs> but I think that at a very, again, at a bare minimum, there are now so many resources, even online. Um, they're not always perfect, but which will kind of give you at least the Silicon Valley version of a startup that's legally compliant in a box, if you will. So you've got uh, resources like Clerky, you've got resources like Cooley Go, you have resources like Shoebox, um, Carta is now rolling out some uh, kind of forum documents and forum resolutions on its platform. 
You have new players coming into the space like Equestart, which is basing its cap table management um, offering on the blockchain. So there's, a, I mean, I think there's enough. I'm not, you know, kind of the the rocket lawyer of the days or all those other kind of websites. Um, <laughs> I've had to clean up a lot of messes. And they're more costly than making that investment up front as a startup. I know that, you know, you're you're trying to run a kind of a lean startup and budget mm-hmm. and, and keep kind of hoard any cash that you do have in the in the startup. But legal is really, really important. You do have a lot of lawyers, including myself, that is able to work with that kind of a team and that kind of a budget and, you know, caps. Um so that there's transparency in how much the the startup is actually going to spend. So you can prepare all these documents yourselves, and then come to a lawyer and say, let's carve out, you know, three four hours of just consultation time to confirm that we are achieving what we want in these documents, and we truly understand what they mean for us, right? Because if you're if you're founders, and then all of a sudden you all sorts of things can happen, right? With those documents that you don't fully understand that you're just pulling off the internet anywhere from, Mm -hmm. you know, having some kind of a, um, a call writer put right on your equity as a founder, leaving you basically without anything upon certain events, all sorts of kind of like what are called bad boy, bad girl (laughs) provisions. Um, So if you're not understanding the language and you're signing these because you think that you just have to have something, you should be wary and you should understand that there are other resources which you can tap into um, to, you know, to really have all, to check all those boxes for incoming investors, but not have to spend, you know, kind of, no offense to Cooley, but, but Cooley prices or you know, whoever else or org prices or Kenwick or any of the other wonderful large firms that, that really play a role um, in later stage funding. That's great, actually. Yeah. So, and then as far as uh, uh, your question about securities, right? <laughs> yeah, registration for an exemption from a securities registration. I think that I kind of said that roundabout, but um, I think most people know about a a Reg D exemption. So, usually when you have when you raise money or you issue securities as an issuer, you need to either register them, in in which case you are making it public, or you need to find a an exemption from registration. So typically um, you're covered under Section 482, which is kind of a private placement under the Securities Act of 1933. And um, and you would typically try to find, there's a, and again, securities laws is, is, is not for the faint-hearted because it's, it's very in- <laughs> yeah. intricate. But, but generally there is, you know, something called a, a private placement and then you would file a Form D um, 15 days from the time that you take in your first cash. Um, I've been receiving a lot of questions recently for those that didn't file the 4MD um, and kind of being concerned about what repercussions that may have. And there are gen- there are repercussions by the SEC, but they're not sort of overt. They're not going to go and, and find you. So, But if you then raise multiple... Um, multiple rounds in the future, you should definitely think about uh, filing that form D. And some, you know, a lot of people file it late, but they say that the SEC says it's better to to file it late than not file it at all. That's great. That's that's so generous of SEC to do because 
I thought they're much more firm on this. It, like, if you file something like several months after you, the deadline, uh, you're already dead, basically. Uh, no. But it's, it's great to <laughs> know that I, you're and not. Please don't take this as yeah, legal advice, but you know, there's, I've, I've spoken to various lawyers who've done lo much larger private placements in the realm of, you know, I mean, like two to five million and they haven't uh, they haven't filed the forms on time, and there still okay. have not been overt <laughs> repercussions. But I mean, don't you know? Don't hang on to that because you just never know what the SEC will do oh, or yeah. won't do. But it's just it's not sort of you know like a black death that they're going to find you and knock on your door <laughs> and put you in jail. <laughs> SEC is like IRS. It's like they find one of ten people who are breaking the, their rules. But if they find you, you're you're screwed. So don't yeah, don't don't mess with SEC. Just file everything on time. Come on, it's not so hard. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's go a little bit more uh, and talk a little bit more about choosing the right uh, safes and how to evaluate them. So many founders have uh, been asked this question multiple times. Uh, how do I evaluate my company right now uh, in a safe? What should I include there? What sort of discount is normal if I'm going to put too high discount? So like. 70% uh, discount off the next offer. It's going to look weird. And if I will put it too low, it's not uh, not that much of a deal for an investor. It's not going to interest them. So what's, yeah. what's the proper valuation there, in your opinion? You know, it, it, so I, I, it's difficult for me, really, to, to provide any kind of solid advice on that, I would say. Um, I would say I think the best advice that I've read and more, most instructive advice has been uh, Guy Kawasaki's Art of the Start uh, 2.0. So he provides um, a lot of great advice in there about valuations, right? That, you know, with early stage companies, depending whether you have revenue, whether you don't, your pre-revenue. I mean, it just, there's so many different factors that are involved. Um, but, you know, nobody, unless you're sort of, really out in the clouds and like your pre-revenue, you don't have a MVP or a POC or any of the, like the technology or any products. Um, and you're value, you're giving yourself a valuation of, you know, a 10 billion, like they're just gonna, they're not, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they're not yeah, even gonna look at you. But so there, you know, there are reasonable ways to, uh, to, to seek evaluation for an early stage company, I would say, you know, obviously have a good group of advisors um, that you speak to that are, um, that are sort of uh, mature in this, in whatever industry you're in, and they'll be able to guide you on what kind of factors um, investors would look at. So, but in terms of, you know, financial valuations, there are different kind of uh, methodologies um, uh, like the scorecard method when you're looking at different kind of factors and giving each uh, each a weight and, and, and then giving it kind of a raw score. So, um, yeah, so that's what I would say. I mean, I think it's less less so legal um, rather than really what's, what's market. And I think the best... Uh, Pulse that you can get on that is is people who've been in the industry for a very long time in that specific industry that you're in because it just varies from one to the next. Absolutely. So can can you mention that book again that you just said about the valuations? Uh, the the scorecard method. Scorecard. What? It's called the scorecard method. 
So, for example, that looks, you know, it gives different weights to the size of the opportunity, your team, how disruptive your widget or product or services in the market, your sales channels, the stage of your business, where the revenue is coming from, whether the prototype is in place or it were. So there's a number of different um, factors that can be included into that kind of consideration. And then the investors would you know, give it a rating right. and if mm-hmm. it rates whatever, really then they're like, oh, okay, well, then this, this has uh, the ability to be, you know, a, a pre-money valuation of $2 million, for example. That's a good reference. So I'll definitely myself take a look at this book. And for those of you who will, I'm pretty sure, forget the name of the book by the end of the episode, I will include the name of this book in the description of the episode. So you can check it out and you should definitely take a look at it if you have questions about how to evaluate your company. So now let's talk a little bit more about choosing the right uh, safe. So there are, not not the safe, my, my bad, choosing uh, the right um, fundraising tool. So there are convertible debts and convertible equity notes. Can we go a little bit in depth into this? What's the difference between convertible debt and convertible note? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I would more say that you have uh, convertible securities generally, and those convertible securities are technically considered debt because they have some kind of a maturity date and some kind of a interest rate on it. so I guess maybe it's a convertible, like you'd have a convertible note, right, that, that is considered a security that then at some right. stage upon, upon uh, meeting some kind of a qualified financing or other event converts into mm-hmm. equity. And then there is the just straight debt, which would just be in the form of a, of a promissory note, um, also with some kind of a percentage. So in terms of, you know, (laughs) when the market was sort of buoyant, right, before um, this COVID crisis hit upon us, there was a lot of cash in the market and it was very cheap cash. Um, And so more and more uh, startups and and early stage companies were taking on debt rather than uh, giving away their equity. So you just have to think of, you know, one, how resourceful you can be with attracting funds and whether it makes more sense to give away more of your company or give away more of your cap table um, and really managing how much of that that slice of the pie that you're giving. So again, with kind of convertible, convertible notes, thinking through um, – how many rounds you're you're intending to raise before like a, a pure series A, for example. Um, and then having those that series A round be a, a lot larger than your your predecessor, your series seed rounds. Um, and then just uh, I guess you know series A investors are going to be come in at a higher amount and probably gonna have a lot more requirements in terms of their rights over the company. So, um, it's a balancing act. Again, I don't know that there's, you know, a right answer for, um, it depends again on, on the team. It depends on the sort of velocity and the expected or projected five-year revenue, for example. Right. And so once you're, once you've made, once you have your financial 
people in the company who are able to make all those kind of calculations and are able to make those projections and and build out those models, then um, they should really be, you know, in a position to say what would work best for us in terms of uh, how we, how we're raising money. Right. That's, that's a good advice. So um, here I want to talk a little bit about your own angel investing experience. So you, you have a lot to do with startups and uh, you said that you really love this field. So you've invested in startups yourself, right? Can, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. uh, what do you like to invest in? What, what are you looking for and how do you invest? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I guess I'm fairly new, you know, I've probably been in this position for the last, Two years or so, um, and I uh, I consider myself kind of a, a micro investor. Um, I am a part of a fund called Opener.vc, um, and their strategy is to um, exchange services in lieu of compensation or in lieu of capital for equity. So um, their model again is kind of aggregating all of the the needs that you have at a, as an early stage startup, like marketing and um, uh, developers and engineers and lawyers and all of that kind of packaging it at a value and providing it in exchange for uh, a certain percentage of a startup. So there's that side of, of my experience and kind of where I'm heading um, and building that out more. Um, currently it's focused more on, on kind of the Middle East and Europe and North Africa as far as startup um, companies, but they're potentially at some point going to move into the U.S. as Mm -hmm. well. And then for myself, um, just kind of as a micro angel (laughs) investor, um, (laughs) I typically typically, uh, look at sort of the the team, um, how serious the team is in what they're doing and, and really whether they're giving their all in, in what they're doing. Um, I tend to focus on some areas that I'm more familiar and then some areas or industries and sectors that I'm not as familiar. So I tend to invest into or look at a lot of legal tech startups. Nice. Um, and some of the other ones that I've invested into are in um, aerospace, uh, products, as well as uh, one that is in the renewable energy uh, evaporative cooling space as well, which I is, is a lot of science there, and I I'm kind of a wannabe, and so that's how I you know put my foot in or like dip my foot into being a part of those discussions, and and it just uh, it makes me very excited. So, but I you know I profess to know nothing about it. I'm just like, oh yeah, that sounds amazing. But, you know, some <laughs> of it is just gut, and it's it's not even based on any, any other factors. Um, but having you know having a team that 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 does it's team 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 in so many for me in so many of these situations. It's having a team that you know does their homework that doesn't come with sort of these again like. Uh, again, during the ICO um, phase of the blockchain world in 2017, you would have 
every other person coming into my office saying, oh, you know, this is the next best thing, and we're going to be printing money, and we're going to be buying yachts and, and islands. And so as soon as, like, somebody is, is already there without actually being passionate about whatever they're building, like, I just, it's, it, I totally dismiss that. Like, I can't take them seriously. So... God, that's really but yeah, I mean, I, uh, teams obviously that have been through a um, an accelerator like TechStars or Y Combinator or 500 Startups or whoever you know whoever else right now is mm-hmm. right. is is doing a good job with that or an incubator also are sort of prioritized because they've mm-hmm. gone through the mentoring and the conceptualization they've thought about their product from multiple different perspective so they're just a lot you know more mature even though they may still be an early stage company that's a good point that's a good point a big benefit of going through accelerator incubator or anything similar so yeah we'll have to wrap it up soon so last question that i'm trying to ask all my speakers what should uh first three steps that the founder should take to get to the first check from an investor the first three the three steps that a founder should take to yeah. get get that check in there. um build out your network that's the number one step and whatever that takes um to build out a network whether it's virtually or once we can all see each other in person again is going to meetups mm-hmm. um number two create a brand for yourself as a founder um this is kind of a marketing hack right have somebody Googles you, make sure that the content or the information available about you fits into the direction that you're trying to go. Um, and number three is <laughs> uh, make make sure that, you know, to the level that you're able to, you have sophistication and kind of finesse around what you're sharing, right? That you're not, uh, there's a certain air of, of kind of being cultured, I guess, around like on the one hand, balancing being assertive and going for what you want and being uh, not as, not quite as pushy and in your face and doing it in a way that, you know, when you are sending somebody your pitch deck, you're sending something that's, you know, probably needs more iterations down the line, but is in pretty solid shape. Like don't, you get judged by those kind of things. If you're sending a pitch deck and there are mistakes and spelling mistakes and things don't align, you know, that just build, build that out and, and don't do it kind of in a cocky way. Right. That's, that's a good advice. Always proofread because once I personally see a a typo on a pitch deck, I'm like, okay, it's, if a person didn't take like five minutes to read through this, why should I take, my five minutes to read through this right all right yep. on this 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 was a great episode really loved it tons of great uh specific advice on legal side and there are so much more topics so many more wait did i even say that right no i didn't anyways <laughs> <laughs> i'm russian i have a right to do that so um there are much i'm still trying to there are, there are many more <laughs> many many more thank you so much you're Russian as well, but you have more experience, you know, in, in English. So um, thank you. Thank you for helping out uh, fellow <laughs> Russian. <laughs> there are many, of many course. more topics for us to discuss on the legal side. So there, there is a high chance of us uh, creating several educational episodes focusing on some specific fields of uh, legal side of fundraising. So look out to 
those tiles educational episodes with Eve Muchnik. Thanks again, Eve, for taking your time for participating on this. And have a great week. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great.